welcome to episode 53 of the Polis Box. Now, due to an unfortunate series of technical mishaps, for this episode we've had to use an audio recording of our Skype call rather than usual recordings from Audacity, so you're going to notice a bit of a drop in audio quality. Because of this, we've had to strip out a lot of the usual musical bells and whistles we normally adorn an episode with. So while the recording quality may be low, the chat quality is reassuringly adequate at best. We'll have all this sorted out in time for episode 54. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Actually, I don't know in all seriousness what disappointed me more. Um, either Rangers Europa League final defeat <laughs> or the last public vote for this show. <laughs> I'm genuinely trying to remember what spun me out more for a, you know longer afterwards. It's, it's a lot of trauma to take in one week, isn't it? It is a lot to take in one week. Uh, I mean, it's, this is a, this is a safe space for you, Cam. You can you can open well, up to this. I mean, if you want the unburdened, then you know. This no, is I, the, I, I, this I, is the platform. I, I genuinely had to have a long, hard think about life in general and just reassess what was going on. Because I think, oh, I mean, how long have I been doing this with you guys now? Is it about five years? Five years. Um, and in that half decade, I genuinely thought my greatest achievement as far as, um, you know, defending or prosecuting going was to claim a 75% victory for the trial of a Time Lord. That, for me, was the, uh, I was the proudest of all of that achievement uh, that I did alongside many others. And this has essentially just made the whole thing seem irrelevant. Um, and yeah, I was quite um, in a in a forlorn fashion, just sat staring at the night sky one evening from a conservatory, just wondering, <laughs> like Amelia Pond, what is life? <laughs> why why are we here? Why is stolen earth now part of the canon? Those are the questions I have to I have to weigh up. As I said on that tweet, I think in years to come we'll have a Netflix documentary about its guilt, and we'll all be there going, I but it did a lot of work for charity. <laughs> and so, we just so didn't see thinking, it. Right? It was hiding in plain sight all along. Hiding in sight all along. This is the first ever episode of the Police Box, by the way, that I'm holding a pint glass. That is what a public vote for Stolen Earth and Journey's End has <laughs> turned me to. You know? That is what's happened now. I hope genuinely all the listenership of this podcast are fucking happy. <laughs> they won't be to listen to this. No, not really. Quatil Sashad! Mr. Quatil Sashad! the corner of Doctor Who fandom that much like Roger Delgado and the Demons has messed with powers well beyond its ken and summoned a great terror back into the world. It's the Polis Box, the podcast that puts Doctor Who in the dock. I'm Lee. I'm Dave. And I'm Cameron. 
I like uh, the fact that we brought so much energy after his intro there. It was good. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, what do, you, what do you say? What are you supposed to go? Ah, Cameron, by the way. Yeah, come on, yes. give us some pets. Give us some showbiz. Yes, I'm Cameron. Woohoo. Yay, yay, yay. Oh, yeah. Hmm? We should clarify that the uh, the great the great uh, terror we brought back into the world after last uh, time's tumultuous, grumpy, bad-tempered episode in which we suggested we would be quite happy never to see Tennant and Tate grace Doctor Who ever again. What's happened? Tennant and Tate have come back and they're doing a special next year. Mm, Jesus Christ. So I hope we're all, you know, this is what happens. You want Russell T. Davis back and this is what you get. You know, oh God. Yep, fan service always turns out well. Just ask Jar Jar Binks. Exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, I hope. I mean, I mean, it's going to be the. It's going to be for the sixtieth, isn't it? Next year, which seems a scary prospect to even say. Now it doesn't seem that long since the fiftieth. Fiftieth, yeah. No, yeah. Only like, well, yesterday, really. Uh, yeah. We. I mean, that's just kind of speculation in a way because we don't really know if it's going to be a full special episode with those two because it's only been suggested that they're doing scenes, but there doesn't yeah. seem to have been quite a lot of filming involving those two for the yeah. first. But we're assuming it's going to be the first of three specials. So exactly. give me more. Uh, give me more Tenet and Tate. Might even get Matt Smith. Might even get Peter Capaldi back. I was going to say, is that going to be like? Is that going to be like the idea? They have like special episodes for each Doctor and like individual standalone stories for each one. That seems to be what's happening. Is that the plan? Uh, that's well, they've not announced anything sort of firm like that. But what's been suggested and what's been seen seems to suggest that's going to be the case. But that'll be. It's mm. a bit of a multi-doctor story, something different. Well, yeah, I think they'll probably all still like come together, won't they, at some point? They'll intertwine somehow, I'd imagine. They're not just going to have slight individual stories and then just leave it at that. It'll be uh, individual stories all against the same enemy or something like that. Probably, yeah. I mean, obviously I don't think Jodie Whittaker's going to be coming back because she'll have not long departed. No, yeah, uh, she's only just had a baby as well. Oh, I so, suppose she has, aye. Yeah, so filming scenes for just now might be a little bit tricky with you know, the most tired doctor you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Falling asleep against the target. <laughs> yeah, just leave me. Just I'll be the way it's just for you, yeah. All right, okay. That's not bad then. I'll see how that one goes. Because obviously the other option would be to do like a 50th and do all them combined. Yeah. But the 50th one obviously got a little bit derailed because Eccleston said no. Yeah. <laughs> Blatantly, Eccleston said no. And in the uh, same vein, John Hurst also said no. It's just selfish, isn't it? Yeah, yeah Not exactly. coming back. Honestly, he's a prima donna. prima donna. What would he say if he was alive today? It's quite dark in here. <laughs> this hotel room's a bit cramped. Got to be good room service. And actually talking of people that are no longer with us, it's nice to see that the curse has struck again. Oh yeah, we have killed again, haven't we? We've we? killed again, yes. We've Apologies. taken a big scalp this time. If you were a fan of Goodfellas, then um, yeah. We're sorry. Yeah. We're sorry. We've off really off. We have sort of dialed up really, haven't we? We've gone from Paul Daniels and now look where we are. Now look where we are, yeah. We're going to, it's, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I can't wait to feel that the curse will strike again. God yeah, knows who next mean, time. It's only a shame we weren't recording this this time next week. This time next week? <laughs> Joke for the Royalists there. Oh, right, OK. <laughs> Cameron oh, doesn't agree get... with that because, you know, he's say, a Rangers fan. Yeah. Rangers, Rangers <laughs> da will be on your case. <laughs> 
Anyway, all this special stuff has overshadowed the big announcement that's happened since we've been away. We've got a new doctor. Yeah. Yes, we yes. have. I like we the joined. way they kind of tried to anger everyone by making it a black immigrant. Yay! <laughs> you said you wanted a man again. What are you whining about now? <laughs> You've got well, your wish. It was never going to be a white dude because yep, yep. the obvious thing would then be all the people who were, you know, hashtag not my doctor, all them pricks would have been like, oh, you see, oh, they've done that, and they've put Jodie Whittaker and it made the Doctor a woman, and the ratings have gone down, and now they just want to backtrack back to that. So it was never going to be a white guy. Yeah. Um, it was also probably going to be someone who you have to Google. I mean, and I'm fine with that. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's probably the best. The ones that you have to actually go, who the fuck are they? Then, then you know, it's like, I had to do that with Jodie Whittaker because I never saw Broadchurch. Claire was instantly like, oh, she was in Broadchurch. She was awesome when Jodie Whittaker got announced. Um, I don't think anyone, when Matt Smith got announced, had ever seen Party Animals, which was like the last thing he was in. No, no, I can't say I did. No, but that was like in a, a very sort of kind of low-key BBC2 thing. It wasn't really kind of publicised yeah, much yeah, at the yeah. time. We didn't make a big deal of it, so yeah. I mean, Capaldi was a fairly big name, I think. It's fair to say probably of the modern doctors, Capaldi's probably about the biggest name they've got for it. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. off the bat, because he was in loads of stuff beforehand. And uh, I, obviously David Tennant had just done Casanova with Russell T. Davis when he got announced, didn't he? Um, so it's always going to be someone that probably worked alongside Russell T. Davis at some point in the past. So, uh, But not looking forward to it. Um, he seems really good. I have to spend ages trying to pronounce his name properly. It's Shuti Gatwa. So Shuti yeah. as in... Yes, it doesn't look like it should be that, but it is that. And then, yes. Yeah. And then you get Sylvester McCoy in his helicopter hat, wishing him all the best. <laughs> <laughs> Inspector Gadget wishing you Yes, well. I was like, Inspector Gadget, go, go, Gadget, eat. Off he goes. Yeah, you knew it was going to be somebody you had to Google, but you just wish that it was easier to Google that name. <laughs> yeah, but, aye, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to him. Um, yeah. As I look forward to every doctor, I don't think there's any time, you know, as a fan, you should be going, oh, yeah, oh, it's going to be shit. Because it's going to be different. Because obviously it's Russell T. Davis' error part two. As we've discussed before on this podcast, he can't write the same scripts he was writing between 2005 and 2010. There's no way he would get away with doing that. No. Yeah. It, it should be, you know, it'll be different, but it'll be fairly good. And I'm looking forward to the show finding. It's um, different tack again, and then it's always exciting when that happens. Well, that's it. It's, he's got a massively different budget to work with as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the partners are done well. They're essentially partnered up with Sony in a way because they now own Bad Wolf Studios. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. going to be, to, you, to use a sort of metric term, a fuckload of money. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. It's and it's Sony, so we can get Spider Man involved. <laughs> yep. Else be the doctor sent playing his PlayStation quietly. Yeah, right then. Listen, he's Walkman. Yeah, he's not one in the eight. He's also Walkman. Yeah. Got one of them. Real big close up of Sony Walkman. I listen to cassettes now. Cassettes are cool. Yeah. Yep, pretty much. Yep, yep. The doctor. Has anyone ever thought about, you know, uh, just this new thing called A Track? <laughs> Does that mean the master's going to be using mini discs? Probably. Minidiscs were great, man. Yeah, they were. Minidiscs I still got some somewhere. I still got somewhere up there in a cupboard. But yeah, minidiscs were fantastic. <laughs> They're somewhere. Bring back the minidisc. That's what I say. 
So do we think that uh, Shooty is going to do what that fraud David Tennant never done and use his own accent? Got to get our Scottish doctor, do you think? Well, obviously Capaldi did. McCoy did. Well, Jodie yeah. did. Well, she yeah, Jodie got to. Well. Not a Scottish accent, obviously, but yeah, no. she got yeah, to. She used her own. I don't know. Was there a, Did we ever find a reason why Tennant didn't? I think the reason was Russell T. Davis after Eccleston didn't want to do a sort of touring the regions thing after having a very northern doctor to then go to a very Scottish doctor. Very further northern doctor. <laughs> yeah, I plans up a very north. Yes. But I think that was the reason that they didn't want to go in another extreme. You know, you have another sort of really strong accent and maybe wanted to sort of dial it down a bit and bring it uh, I suppose, to more yeah, kind of sort of uh, not quite up. RP sort of accent, but something that's more kind of What I'd like is palatable the first scene. To, yeah. I'd like the first scene he comes out and he just got this thick, heavy, stereotypical Nigerian accent like Lenny Henry used to do in the 80s. And he just does that for the first couple of lines. He goes, nah, just kidding. Goes back into Scottish. <laughs> You're a dirty pig. See, I didn't I want it, to do that because I didn't want to sound racist. I think if he does use his... the garden path once If more. he does use his usual accent, I think they might well do it just to really fuck with people's heads because when you look at him, you're not expecting that accent. <laughs> yeah. For that reason, just just to really like you know put it in tight, it'll just be like, oh yeah, he's got this accent. By the way, he's totally Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> Could work out with well, us. We could get him on the show. He's a bit like Edinburgh guy as well, isn't he? So you know, that's that's our hook. We can. Uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yep. Get exclusive that way. Oh, shooty, oh, do you want to come onto this uh, <laughs> this podcast? It was Boromir and Dunfermline High Schools he went to, was it not? That's true. Yeah, he's a Boromir boy. We'll dangle yeah. that carrot. We'll use that. We'll use that. As, yeah, use that. Know. Use that. We'll get, get them into coming on. I'm sure it'll be easy to get on. Oh, yeah, yeah. He won't be busy. I mean, no, 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 he's just filming a TV show. It can't be. And really easy to contact as well. Yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty sure his diary's completely empty. Completely so, yeah. empty. It's not like. Just, oh, what does he have to do? He just has to turn up on Pebble Mill for a little bit, doesn't he? And then promote the show yeah. that way. Turn yeah. up on breakfast time with Patrick Trout and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll be all right. He'll be totally it's up for it. Yeah. Fine. Right. Enough of this relevancy. Shall we yes. get back to what we do best? We shall. Let's watch our nonsense. Yeah, let's not let's take our finger off the pulse and get back to what we do. Uh right, shall we dredge up this simmering? That's the format, sorry. That's my... <laughs> shall we dredge up the simmering, festering remnants of last time's anger-filled rantathon then? Sweet fucking Jesus. Yes, go on. Let's do it. Let's reveal the result of the last episode's poll. So the poll is box 52. We put the stolen earth and Johnny's end on trial. We had a whopping 73 votes on this one, which is like more than double what we normally get. That is, yeah, that would, it's yeah. like... Yeah, a lot of votes, a lot of votes. So it was probably quite close then. Yeah, yeah well, we'll find yeah. out. We'll find yeah. out. Yeah, it could have yeah. gone either way, Dave. How many sock puppet accounts do you have, Dave? <laughs> One of them is called Karen Gillan. <laughs> oh, sorry, sock puppet. Okay, that, that's, yeah. that's the crusty sock puppet. <laughs> and if you think that's bad taste, you should see the original intro I had to this episode. By Christ. The vote then. I'd like to see that intro will be available on our Patreon. <laughs> Come and join us in the ball pit. Okay, now you see, you say come and join us in the ball pit. Nobody's going to get that reference unless they happen to see what you tweeted five minutes ago. Right, the vote. Would you like to know how it went, Cameron? 
Yes, I would love to know how it went. I'm completely in the dark. I have no idea what the final percentages were for the vote for a stolen Earth and Journey's End. Please tell me, Lee. I shall now tell you, Cameron. Polis Box 52, the stolen Earth and Journey's End. Guilty, 32%. Not guilty, 68%. Dave wins the vote. You'll get to select the envelopes of justice at the end of tonight's show, Dave. Cameron will be flipping the coin and cited. Prosecutes or defence is the next story we draw. Can I point something out? Can I yeah, point you, something you, out? You must right. be delighted, so uh, go, go Ex- ahead. Fucking ecstatic. Um, <laughs> two weeks ago, and without wishing to go completely into my medical history, which I will not, but two weeks ago, I had to have a doctor's visit because I had damaged a tendon in my neck, legitimately. <laughs> it was, like, completely stiff, and I couldn't turn my neck to the right without it shooting. I thought I had a migraine at the same time. Right. I can only, I have no idea how I did it, but apparently I damaged it somehow. But I can only looking back surmise it was the amount of head shaking I was doing. <laughs> That's the only it's just suddenly come to me that I was like, ah, it might have been this. So yeah. Laying the guilt on thick with our audience. Yep. yep. You caused Cameron physical harm. I steady as well as ibuprofen. <laughs> physical and emotional distress was caused by this vote. Pretty much. Well, that does mean the Stolen Earths and Journey's End earns a reprieve. It is now officially part of our official, non-official Doctor Who canon. It's there forever. There's always a bad egg in there, isn't there? It's mm-hmm. one of the good ones. That's what <laughs> almost everyone thinks, Cameron. <laughs> it's universally loved. Good. I don't even... I don't even know why. Why? More than two why thirds. Was yeah. No. I'm just like, what? Because it was going okay for the first couple of days, if I remember rightly. It was reasonably close. And then it, it just kind of went, as soon as the more retweeting we got and the more people got involved, the more it went to not get Yeah. Which means I'm never retweeting any tweet <laughs> ever again. But your fingers burnt there, haven't you? Not happening. I'm not promoting this show in any fucking way. <laughs> I resign. <laughs> That's it. You can do your talking shot. <laughs> All right, and should we throw the section all away? Should we get sent to tonight's episode? We let's, shall. Let's do it because that's. Hey, Cameron, you could maybe pull out the bag and win this one. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Let's find out, shall we? Yeah. It's time then to go back to 2010, the rock and roll years. Is Amy Pound? Is Amy Pond's true profession? Fucking hell. <laughs> Amy, Amy Pound. Amy Pound can, can you wish? Start talking about it. He's thinking, Amy, and now I felt, oh, and I'm struggling and mumbling again. We're, we're back to the crusty sock puppet again. That's why it's Amy Pound. <laughs> it's time to go back to 2010. The rock and roll years is Amy Pond's true occupation. A, a nurse. B, a policewoman. C, fucking hell. <laughs> Do you know what? Forget it. Let's just go on with it. It's time to put the 11th hour on trial. Yay! That's what That's happens. The when you forget. That's what happens when you forget to write the rest of the joke. Oh right, okay. <laughs> Will we ever be allowed to know what the joke was? No, no. Work? This okay. never happens. This never, never happens. happens. Okay. <laughs> So, all of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will, where do you want to start? So your aunt, where is she? She's out. Has she left you all alone? 
Not scared. Of course you're not. You're not scared of anything. Box falls out of the sky, man falls out of a box, man eats fish custard. And look at you. Just sitting there. Do you know what I think? What? Must be out of a scary crack in your wall. Human residents, they're not talking about your house, they're talking about the planet. Somewhere up there, there's a spaceship, and it's going to incinerate the planet. Twenty minutes to the end of the world. You know when grown-ups tell you everything's going to be fine, and you think they're probably lying to make you feel better? Yes. Everything's going to be fine. The universe is cracked. Pandorica will open. Silence will fall. Don't say words you're gonna regret. Don't let the fire rush to your head. I've heard the accusation before. Stephen Moffat, directed by Adam Smith and produced by Tracy Simpson and Nikki Wilson. It starred Matt Smith as the Doctor and Karen Gillan as Amy, with Caitlin Blackwood as Amelia, Arthur Darville as Rory, Nini Awadia as Dr Ramsden, Tom Hopper as Jeff, Annette Crosby as Mrs Angelo, Arthur Cox as Mr Henderson, Olivia Coleman as Muller and Patrick Moore as himself. It was broadcast on Saturday the 3rd of April 2010 and the viewing figures for this one were 10.8 million viewers. Cameron, you're going to be prosecuting this one? Yep. So therefore, Dave, you're defending it. That's the format. That's the format. That's the format. So, Cameron, after your uh, absolute kicking in the last episode, should we uh, go to you to kick us off? Uh, we probably should. We probably should. Let's, Let's have your first point for the prosecution then. Let's the first point for the prosecution. I have a few points here. Um, obviously, it's not as... Uh, in depth as maybe a sort of hour and a half long um, story that we have. Yeah, we've only got 45. Well, it's about an hour this one, isn't it? I say only 45 minutes. About an hour and four minutes. An hour. It's literally an hour, minutes. hour and four minutes. Yeah. minutes. Um, but there isn't as many as I had uh, last time around. You'll be pleased to know. Um, I'm going to go probably in with the big guns first. We need to talk about the overly sexual way that Amy is introduced into this story, bordering on kind of carry-on style She's Smuts. a small child, Cameron. Overly <laughs> <laughs> sexualized. Yeah. Like Specify here. Specify. Old, older Amy. Older okay, Amy. that's fair. Okay. Yeah. Careful now. Careful now. <clears throat> so she goes a full-on kissogram with a camera that never seems to leave her legs. And the only companion, I would argue, that was treated worse in this manner in her introduction was Perry. And you'd hope that the show had come a long way since then. 
there seems to be this kind of like Stephen Moffat kind of writes her initially in this kind of like almost snickering schoolboy kind of way. And it's like they want to say stripper, but they know they can't say that because it's essentially a family Saturday evening TV show. So they've brought it to the sort of as much of the borderline as they can. And I just find it a very, looking back, a very bizarre way of, I'd say, giving an introduction to one of Doctor Who's most popular companions in the modern era, I would say, if you don't make a league table of it. Overly sexualising the adult Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get that right then. Let's get, Let's get that right. Let's get, get that right. Yeah, to an extent, I don't disagree with that. It's a fair point, and it's, yeah. The only issues I would have with it is I believe that Karen Gillan was actually in charge of the wardrobe for a lot of her run. So she chose to wear skirts a lot of the time because that's the, how she saw the character. So as much as, yeah, he wrote it that she was a kissogram, she chose that skirt, I believe. But I just, is there I, a reason, story-based, story though, is there a reason why she has to be a kissogram? I think they were probably going for the fact that she's never really settled down. She's never... The way I've put it is almost arrested development. She never got past that night. She was always focused on the doctor and the raggedy doctor coming back. Mm. So she never started a career. She never got a proper grown-up job. She never left Ledworth. She stayed and she weighed and did whatever she could. So I think they were maybe going for that, but they couldn't necessarily go with another girl that works in a shop because that's Rose Tyler. Yeah. yeah. So they had um, to find an easy light job that how much, all the Karen Gillen could that, do. How much demand do you think there is for a kissogram in Ledworth? I think that's where all of Rory's wages went. <laughs> possibly, possibly. But it's just, I don't know. I just get the, it's almost like Stephen Moffat wants to have this sort of finar, finar, cheeky kind of thing going on. And I don't think it quite comes off. That's not something that's exclusive to the 11th hour, though. I mean, there's no, lots of No, that's what I mean, that's what I say, but this is like, the if you're going to, like, do it, you know, putting it in a joke in, like, one episode, fine, but this is, like, the introduction of a companion. So this oh, is, like... Yeah, sorry, although this was the fifth episode they filmed, I think, of this run. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. Yeah, this is, like, filmed in the first block, but right at the very end of that block. So I think by this point of filming, they were more aware of the characters, so they might have pushed it a little bit more in that direction because that mm. was the relationships they were building. But it wouldn't surprise me if maybe they wanted some of that Captain Jack-style comedy but didn't necessarily want to bring Captain Jack back. Let's be very careful how we're talking about Captain Jack-style comedy here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which must that's, have been swirling that's a little bit, the set. That's a little bit more than for now. For now. <clears throat> but, but the old character of Captain Jack, they maybe wanted that kind of risky carry-on, as you say, comedy. But they didn't want necessarily Captain Jack to pop in and go, who are? I think it's slightly uncomfortable when that comedy revolves around a woman, though, rather than a man. Yeah, the, we I watched it with Katrina last night, just to refresh mm -hmm. it in my head. And there's a scene where they're running through the park and she has to go over the really low fence. Mm -hmm. And you see her step over the fence and then adjust her miniskirt and pull it back down. Katrina actually laughed at that. Because, yeah, of course she's dressed like an idiot. Yes. <laughs> and it is, yeah, she's wearing a miniskirt, but she's got flat shoes on. You'd think a kissogram, she'd probably have heels on. 
Well, you know, it's, it's a good crash course in being a Doctor Who companion. I mean, you know, there's plenty of that in the years. Yeah. It's almost like your, your, your uniform if you're going to be a Doctor Who companion, really. Yeah. I mean, look, Tegan was running around in a leather skirt for most of uh, Resurrection oh, yeah. of the Daleks, which is not yeah, yeah. For, built for action, really, is it? Not really. With a yeah. concussion as well. <laughs> but then as Cameron says, you'd think we would have moved on by now. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems there's, there's some part, I'll get onto some parts later, but it's one of those parts in 11th Hour that whilst it might have only been screened what, 12 years ago, mm. there's certain parts of 11th Hour that feel like a lifetime has passed. And this is probably one of them. I don't think you could introduce a new Doctor Who companion, a female Doctor Who companion, in the same way now. No, because even if you, if you look at the latest female companions, it's strong, powerful woman cop. So same uniform. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's actually too. wearing yeah. the proper modern version of the uniform and not a miniskirt. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Same software, different case. Exactly. I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of the comparison there, but yeah, exactly. Um, you know, an actual police officer as opposed to just someone pretending. Yeah. And pretending to be English as well. That was a horrendous accent she was using. <laughs> it is quite, quite bad. It's almost like it's quite difficult to mask an Indonesian accent, isn't it? But I, I think that what she might have been trying to get across with that is that she was uncomfortable and pretending to be someone so to in order to show that she was pretending to be someone she acted like she was someone else very over the top badly i think it's also probably disguised the fact that she's the older in oh 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 did we glitch out there you glitched you did yeah did it? It's, I'm, it's back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, it was just when right. you were saying um, Amy, you just kind of slowed down and started to slur a little bit. He <laughs> <laughs> was watching the scene back. Older Amy yeah. Pound. <laughs> Careful now. Um, but, yeah, it's, I, I've lost my train of thought completely. Carry on. Overly sexualised. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. There you go. I'm repeating myself. Yeah. Overly sexualized Amy introduction. Thank you. Good night. I'll get it. First point in the prosecution out of the way. Dave, do you want to give us the first point for the defence? Yeah, I'll actually, I'll go with the same thing. It's Amy, the older Amy. So we, we come in and, and I've got it written. The first non-doctor character we see is the target audience. It's a small child friend of monsters they don't understand. And to an extent, that is who all the viewers are meant to relate to. So that's who we see as young Amy Pond, bright, intelligent, a little bit of sadness and fear behind her. So all the young viewers empathise with that. And the older viewers can, can actually empathise with that as well because they remember when they were a kid watching Doctor Who or going through whatever crap the world was doing at the time. So we can remember that feeling. And that's the first non-Doctor character we see. And a lot of the time in Doctor Who, the kids that we see are the victims. It's like the kid with the haunted lift, who turns out to be an alien. Or it's the kid on the island of Great Britain, the spaceship, who turns out to be a victim. Whereas in this, we get to empathise with a character. And then we find out that they become the companion. And it's, I think it might be the first character who's actually a victim of the Doctor. Because we see her as a kid and then we see her broken by the doctor leaving her behind. So we've suddenly got this slightly older woman who's stuck, unable to let go of the raggedy doctor that she met 
years ago as a child and she's had to go to psychiatrists and nobody believes her and then he turns up so it's a really great character they've written and we get all of that in the first 15 20 minutes so they've summed up all of amy's early life and we know almost everything we need to know about her by the first 20 minutes and it's really well written Good in the sense that you could argue that it's, as you say, a companion which the essentially starts off as a broken promise by the Doctor, mm. which is rare, you know, because the Doctor's forever promising his companions, you know, I'll get you out of this, we'll be safe, we'll do this, it'll be not a problem. There's all these promises that the Doctor always has, which is, you effectively say, is a promise also made to the audience as well. Um it does kind of have to mean that there's an opening to 15 to 20 minutes that effectively just gives us the fish fingers and custard thing that people made YouTube videos out of forevermore, it would seem. And it doesn't really... You'd think that if like that would last a lot longer, that kind of idea of that fact that she, you know, the doctor stood her up would play into it a lot more but it seems kind of forgotten about real fast and it maybe would have been a bit more of an underlying thing to carry on with through, uh, throughout you know the first few episodes yep i could have um and the thing is because we know what we know now because we've seen the rest of this storyline we know that amy as a child was special anyway so they couldn't really have shown us much more of her growing up without maybe ruining the crack in the wall exploding TARDIS story later on. Yeah. So they probably had to dance around that a little bit when they wrote the story. But yeah, it, because as new showrunner, new Doctor, new companions, everything had to be introduced and expanded. And I think they did it. As you say, the food scene, I, I think that's a really good way of showing that the Doctor is still the Doctor, but he's new and different. And so we get the new Doctor introduced alongside this small child. So we get to empathise with the child and see the new Doctor. As the Doctor explains who he is, shows what he's like, he's a bit zany, a bit crazy, but he's still the Doctor and he wants to help. Mm. And then we get where she's grown up, but we know this is the Doctor. So when the Doctor meets her, it's time for him to bring her character along a bit. So that by the time we are half an hour into this, so halfway through the first episode, we know who the Doctor is, we know what kind of Doctor he is, and we know what the companion's like. And we also know where their levers are to make them do things. And I think it's really well done for the first half of an episode. Mm -hmm. That whole food scene kind of acts as like an introduction to the Doctor, to Amy, and to the audience at the same time. Mm. So as, as much as it's played for laughs and it's a bit zany and it's a bit comedic, it does serve a purpose. I've, I've got in my notes that this is Matt Smith's first shown episode, but not the first recorded, so he knows how the Doctor's going to behave. But you can see that he's already making this role his own because he's a bit daft, he's a bit fun, but still quite serious. But he's got way more energy than Mopey Tennant did towards the end. So David yeah. Tennant towards the end was always hands in his pockets, looking sad into the distance. Whereas this is full of energy and excitement and spitting food everywhere. So I think that might be why they did the food scene as well. Because it does show the doctor in a different light. But he still gets to care and be nice to a child. I think there's, and this might be descending at me, defending it here. But never mind. 
I always thought that Matt's, just, this is just general thoughts. I've kind of basically, you know, after the stolen earth journey's end, is there any point anymore? Um, <laughs> any, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying here, you know. Yeah. Hey, sometimes you lose one cup final, but you do all right in the next one, Cameron. You do all right in the next one. You do all right in the next one. Depends on who the opponents are. Um, anyway, what was I going to say? Yeah, Matt Smith is, as an actor, naturally comfortable in being a little bit odd mm. and therefore a little bit otherworldly. And I'd probably say that the only other doctor that that was so obvious with and so blatantly there right from the get-go was Tom Baker. There's parallels there, though, because both Tom and Matt, that's kind of the character off-screen as well. When yeah. you watch Tom Baker's Doctor, you watch Matt's Doctor, they're not what a million miles are removed from the real life persona, really. No. Aspects okay. are dialed up, but you can definitely see the actor in the yeah. part. And I think that's probably true of Eccleston as well. Yeah, yeah. But Eccleston wasn't so much, you know, he was more just sort of like, you know, grizzled yeah. veteran, which is probably what was needed, you know, post-Time War yeah. in his intro and his general sort of outlook. Tennant was a bit sort of like swashbuckling heartthrob. He was uh, still carrying the Casanova. Yeah, and so he had a bit of, you know, for the Casanova. I'm not even sure how I describe Capaldi. <laughs> um, <laughs> Such a great actor. Well, yeah, brilliant, but, you know, probably one of the most accomplished actors. Well, obviously, certainly from one of the most experienced when he got the role. Yeah. And it showed. You know, but he also, Capaldi has a certain level of crazy in him. And yeah, now we've gone to, you know, Jodie Whittaker, who does sort of like, I want to say sort of moments of just quiet little sort of confused by humansness, <laughs> yeah, kind of thing, which is quite cool, which I don't think some of the others maybe do as well as Jodie Whittaker yeah. has. She, she's another one, actually. The real life personality sort of bleeds into the character. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you see the interviews with her offset. She's that... Just you know, that's almost the doctor, isn't it? It's like it's just, yeah. the funniest, she's not as much playing a character, but yeah, yeah. The funniest Jodie Whittaker moment for me, as when she was getting interviewed for Doctor Who as Jodie Whittaker, was when she was on So Graham Norton. Did you see that? And she was sat uh, next for whatever because it's Graham Norton, she was sat next to The Rock. <laughs> right, okay. And yeah. I think The Rock was talking about his <laughs> new tequila brand that he'd launched at one point. And it would seem that Jodie Whittaker had had a bet with the rest of the cast that she was going to bag them some free tequila. And, um, you know, she's she's so angling at the... Because whenever the rock, she's like, kind of going, hey, I'd like to try that. And then the rock says the magic word, something like, kind of going, oh, you know, we'll get uh, you know, we'll get your case. It's no problem at all because we're action heroes and action heroes, you know, you know, action heroes get tequila, don't they? And then she looks up at the rest of the cast and just goes, I've got some! <laughs> it's just like hilarious. I don't know if they ever sent it, but apparently she'd bagged some free tequila for them all. Oh man! So it was just great. But anyway, uh, by the way, kind of mess it when she goes, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think there's, there's a bit of a that. I'm gonna, but I think you miss any doctor when they go because you know the show is yeah, gonna be uh, completely different experience when you when it comes back. Kind of idea. So yeah, but. um yeah, you do miss every doctor, but I think there's some that left at the right time. Yeah, yeah, aye. There's some that you're glad that they're leaving, even though you know you'll miss them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's kind of it comes to sort of a natural end. Yeah. Um, mind you, there's some that you kind of look back. I mean, I would have been interested to see David Tennant do a Stephen Moffat-led season. Well, that almost happened with Series Five. Yeah, I think the, I think the initial idea that Stephen, because David's at that point was under understated whether he's going to stay or go. Yeah, there was for a sort of I don't know how big a spell of time, but that was on the cards that David would have stayed on and done Series Five. Mm. If Moffat is the uh, showrunner, I just would have been really interested with those sort of storylines. Yeah, doesn't mean we would have missed out on that, though. So yeah, I suppose you would have missed out on that. You wouldn't have got this. Yeah. You, wouldn't got, you wouldn't have got the fish fingers and custard because there would have been no reason to introduce them. Apparently, they were made of something coconut flavored and breaded. Yeah, uh, coconut cakes, weren't they? Yeah, covered. <laughs> Should have had real fish fingers. Yeah, there was a there was so many YouTube videos cropped up on Doctor Who fandom that was try actually trying fish fingers and custard and trying to convince themselves that it was somehow okay. <laughs> I mind that, Jesus. Yeah, because that's what will make you an almost immortal Time Lord from Gallifrey with two hearts, eating fish fingers and custard. But that's that's where the bar is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that's the mark of a Time Lord. Yeah. You know, it's just like imagine if, like, the, imagine if every single doctor had, like, you know, pregnancy cell cravings as soon as they, like, you know, regenerated. You know, if if Capaldi had popped up and went, "Oh, sausage rolls and boot polish," <laughs> sounds all right, actually. Yeah. <laughs> just, be like, just pretend it's Marmite. Yeah, it'll be fine. You know, thirteenth doctor, bottle of tequila. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> given to me by a guy called The Rock. It's great. <laughs> Used to be a wrestler. Oh, okay. anyway. Are we done with we done with that point? I think we're done with that point. That took Talk a massive that, tangent, didn't it? Yeah, sus. Yes, you know. Okay, and if we're done with that, then Cameron, give us your next point for the prosecution okay. of the eleventh hour. This, this is maybe more of a personal choice, um, but I'm gonna say it, and we're gonna go there. Um, speaking of companions, Rory is quite possibly the worst companion since Adric. I have no idea how anyone <laughs> this feckless firstly becomes a nurse and secondly manages to maintain a relationship with someone like Amy. This, this gave us Rory. I've never sat right with Rory. It always just yeah. seems that he's just this waif-like presence that just and, you know, later on, obviously, the story will demand a lot from him of being, you know, the centurion who waited and this tough guy and all this kind of defending Amy throughout. The... I don't see how this is any significant outlier of that possibly within him. He just seems like he would blow away in a mild breeze. Yeah, yeah, he looks like that, but he doesn't behave like that. The first time we meet him, he is going up to not even his boss, but the person above his boss. And telling them there's a problem in the hospital, even though he knows it can't be true, logically. But then he's, but then he's, he's completely shouted down. <laughs> yes. And the only time and then it actually goes and gathers more evidence. The only time it actually happens is when she like actually sees him for herself. It's not like he sits there and goes, you know, and convinces her. No. Anyway, he doesn't do that. He just kind of like goes, oh, yeah, the, the, the bodies, yeah, I suppose, yeah, I suppose it can't happen, yeah. And he has this kind of look of like a scalded schoolchild who's been told, now, Rory, do you want to get back to your work and stop playing silly buggers and fantasising all the time? And it's only when someone, you know, starts talking, one of the 
like if guys in a coma starts talking that she then goes, Oh right, okay, it might actually be happening. It's nothing really to do with him convincing her. No, but he's the one that's in the park taking the pictures facing the wrong direction, which is what gets the doctor to notice him. But I think the the character of Rory, they obviously wanted two companions and they decided that they wanted the companions to be in a relationship for some unknown reason. Yeah. Because they can have Hanky Panky in the TARDIS later on and we can call an yeah. episode The Big Bang. <laughs> FNAF, FNAF, FNAF. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Back to the carry-on jokes. Yeah. But I think they'd maybe considered it after they'd seen Rose and Mickey and thought that might work. But not with those two, because, you know, we can't have an interracial couple on the BBC. No. So, so they went <laughs> for it. So they went for this with Amy, the slightly wild child who was missing a dependable man in her life. So they wrote Rory, who is loyal, dependable, but still smart and observant and willing to stand up to authority a little bit. Like a small Doug. Yes. He does basically start out as Amy's pet. Yeah, essentially that's it. it. And she seems like throughout the entire run, I've never quite bought their relationship as being an actual thing. Because it seems like Amy would just eat him alive. Yeah, it does. And spit him out. You know, it's just like, he, he doesn't, he kind of goes, oh, yeah, okay, whatever you say. And there's like, what's the episode where they end up? Oh, it's the Centurions. Well, yeah, it's when they first meet the Centurions. Mm-hmm. It's the end of the season, isn't it? That is, yeah. And Amy's blatantly in front of Rory talking about all the hot Italian men she can meet. <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> she's, not, she's not big on tact, really, is she? No, not really. But it's just like, Maybe Rory likes to watch. Who knows? Well, there's an episode title. Maybe Rory likes to watch. <laughs> Fingered by an auton. <laughs> <laughs> Just watch it doesn't go off too soon. <laughs> be a terrible yeah. mess. It I get be, your yes. point. That it's hard to see Amy and Rory in a relationship long I've never term. bought it. I've never bought that. And this is the sort of start of obviously that introduction. I'd be okay if there was like a bit of a give and go between them, but the the, the bit where she says, "Oh, you know," or oh, oh, you know, Rory says, "Oh, this is my girlfriend." By the way, there is a moment of kind of as an audience, you look at it and go, "What, really?" <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, also, sure, I could kind of buy if she, if she was going out with Jeff, I could maybe buy that because he's a, you know he's a strapping lad, you know what I mean? He's you know does it, but she's she's no, I don't know. I mean, I know maybe there's just not enough sort of, you know, folk, men folk to pick in this village. But it's just a bit weird. And I don't... I, I think, and not to prosecute here as well, at the end... Oh, please do. The, the doctor <laughs> the doctor goes, I'm just going to give the TARDIS a trip around the moon. Comes back, what we discover is two years later. And in that two years, Amy is now going to get married to Rory. So mm-hmm. the raggedy doctor comes back, she learns that everything she believed as a child is true. So she just stays in Ledworth and marries Rory. Like that yeah. to anything in our life. It just feels a bit like it has to be, yeah, again, for the one-off joke of something blue. But then I can feel anything that grounds her, though. After, like, oh, it gets, she gets the confirmation that the raggedy doctor wasn't a figment of her imagination. He is real. And then, you know, she maybe accepts that and moves on with her life a little bit, stays in Ledworth, decides to marry Rory. Yeah, but I think after four psychiatrists, probably quite a few breakdowns, she meets the raggedy doctor and he's alive and real. Oh, okay, then I can just let that go. Oh, four, <laughs> four psychiatrists probably all sat there saying, we need to do, Amy, is we really need to consider that maybe the raggedy doctor is a construct of your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> 
in varying yeah. degrees of form. And uh, yeah, she's probably wanting all of her fees back off then, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's marching into the office. You see, it was real all along. I told you. And she swills a bottle of tequila given to her. <laughs> Have you not seen party animals? And you say Prisoner Zero was just a latent representation of my own burgeoning sexuality. Fuck. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah, basic point. Yeah. Rory's a worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rory and Amy doesn't really work. No. Ever to an extent. Never had, never does. Uh, right up until the end point when they leave, it never seems like they're together for any particular reason. And no offence to Arthur Darville because he's a great actor. Oh, yeah, 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 he's great. I think it's the way the characters are in. It yeah, might I just also think be a bit his body shape. Because as he's pointed out, they fixate on Karen Gillan's legs a lot in the start of this episode. They do fixate on Karen Gillan's legs. like this legs. hot, not at all a stripper type. Yeah. And then you've got him and his nursery scrubs. And it looks like he's just had dysentery for the last month. <laughs> <laughs> and they just put whatever they could find on him and he's got no body weight left and he's just slouchy and sad. Yes. And so yeah, not, nothing against Arthur Darville when he's looks then. <laughs> It just looks as if he's had dysentery for a month. We've all had those mornings. <laughs> well, that's the way he looks in this episode. Last Thursday, was it? <laughs> Aye. Okay, well, before we start you know, disparaging Arthur Darvel even more, should we go to the next point for the defence? We probably should. Yeah, before his lawyers get in touch, Dave. Can I point out, by the way, you never did the public uh, evidence at the start? I've remembered that. We'll do that at the end. No problem. Okay. <laughs> break. Sorry, folks. All right, Dave, do you want to give us a point for the defence, sir? Yep, I'll go. I'll go with the layout of this episode and the layout of this story because, as I said, they're bringing in a new companion, a new doctor, mm-hmm. so they need to spend some time setting it up. And for the first twenty-five minutes of this, the doctor's on the back foot. He's feeling sick. He's grabbing his chest. He's trying to eat things. He doesn't know where he is or when he is. But there's a point where he frees himself from when he's handcuffed to the radiator, and he tells Amy to run, and he pushes her ahead of him to run. And from that point forward, the doctor's on the front foot. He's looking for information. He's trying to find out what's going on. And he's in charge of the team. He's in charge of everything that happens after that. So by the end of this storyline, he is the doctor. He's got his new wardrobe on. And he's calling back the aliens to admonish them for what they've done on Earth. And we've gone at the start from him being unsure of who he is and what he is. And he's got no TARDIS, no sonic screwdriver. And then by the end, he's fully equipped and he's fully settled as the character of the Doctor. And I think it's it's well divided through the episode because there's no sudden big snap. It's just that he becomes more and more the Doctor as it goes on. Well, I think that culminates in literally walking through the other representations of the Doctor that the eyeball thing has projected in from the memory that it has you know, look me up kind of thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he literally goes, ta-ta, through the curtains that way. Yeah, that's a bit, a bit on the nose. Yeah, that, that yeah. is a bit where he gets in there just as the dog. That is quite on the nose. Walking yeah, yeah, through yeah, your yeah. predecessor's face and making him dissolve into the background. Yes, there is Here a literal kind of build-up culmination point on that one. Um, before that, obviously, we get the nicking the clothes from the hospital ward uh, that is in no way a piss-poor remake of Spearhead and Spray. <laughs> Um, Actually, you mentioned that the, the building they used for the hospital that looks a lot like the same building they used in Spearhead from Space. And no, we'll I have to check and see if that, it does look very, very similar. 
But I was a bit like they couldn't have gone that far. Surely not. Stephen Buffett could. in charge. They could have. <laughs> well, yes. Fanboy Stephen Buffett. <laughs> well, it was filmed in a small town just outside of Cardiff. Yeah, I'll look that up actually. They wouldn't have been in Wales That's to film in the seventies, though, would they? It'd have been somewhere in the south of England, surely. Well, they did for the Green Death. Aye, but that's because it was set in a Welsh mine, so they would. But they didn't. They would no way have gone. It's not the same building. There's no yeah. way. It might look up. like oh, it, but it's no way the same. Yeah. Oh, it's probably just that gave off similar vibes and had a similar look. So that's why they chose it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's... um, But yeah, uh, regarding building up to this uh, and the Doctor, yeah, there's an... As I say, it, it, it kind of does build up to the not-so-subtle way they do it right at the end and for Matt Smith to be sort of emerging from this all the past of Doctor Who yeah. it's actually a bit similar to the Capaldi eyebrow reveal yes which was slipped in to give him a, a small tiny moment Yeah, in the uh, 50th wasn't it Yeah, which was fine because that was just literally just kind of little throwaway five seconds Yeah, but it wasn't like you know, something that the entire show built up to. I mean, obviously, first Doctor stories have a slight problem in the fact that the story itself is always kind of throwaway. Oh, it has to be. Well, yeah. we've never seen Prisoner Zero again. Yeah, your main focus is getting a new Doctor over and getting yeah, sorted out. There's characterization above story for the first yeah. one. Always. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's never really that in depth i'm trying to think of you know doctor introduction stories that are you know still sort of revered i suppose you you know speedhead from space is still like one that people yeah i mean see a lot yeah i've never really got any big hitters about the first stories really have you i mean even rose is launching an entirely new era of doctor who but that's still quite lightweight yeah, it's quite a lightweight actual story. And as I say, Russell T. Davis always said he didn't want to, you know, people were like, oh, you should have the Daleks or the Cybermen in episode one. And he was like, no, 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 no. That's just quite, quite rightly, to be fair to him, that was yeah, probably setting the bar so high. <laughs> I don't know, Jodie's first wasn't exactly lightweight. I mean, there was quite a lot of death yeah. in that. that was yeah, well, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she was almost yeah. lightness in that episode. True. What else have we got? I'm trying to think now. Robot was, was Robot not originally going to be a Pertwee script? And then they just kind of like recycled it. I think so, yeah. I think it was intended for John Pertwee, but that got held back and used for Tom's first. For Tom's first one. I mean, the other ones we've got, we've got like Power of the Daleks, which is definitely characterisation because they're establishing the first new Doctor. Yeah. First time yeah, it's ever changed. Castrovalva. The Doctor's pissed to have a live for about just, three quarters of that. Yeah, Castrovalva's just a... Oof, I don't think anyone really goes for Castrovalva these days. Twin Dilemma. Oof. I've said really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay then. All right, and Dave, if you're finished with that one, Cameron, should we go to the next point for the prosecution? Um, He looks through his case points and realises that he's done a little bit of a Richie in the last oh, <laughs> 20 minutes or so and burnt through a couple of them that he really didn't want to burn through but never mind where are we gonna go you can revisit some if you wish uh, why would you um right okay uh, a whole heap of the resolution of this story seems to rely on jeff who we've seen on screen for all of 20 seconds and hardly seen heard speak <laughs> and all of a sudden by the way he's a computer hacker as well i give you jeff ladies and gentlemen 
Never heard of before. Hardly heard of since. That's because he joined the unit. Highly <laughs> specialised lad is Jeff. Unless it's a big Finnish audio that we know of, Jeff. Oh, don't give them ideas. <laughs> lots of tapping keyboards and things. Like I know, I know you're practically in with the company almost, but you know. <laughs> Well, if, you if, if you in this competition do not pitch that as an idea <laughs> <laughs> what if I'm just going to walk don't in one. and finish and go you know what would be really good if you, yeah, yeah, remember Lim Thawa remember Jeff and his computer how is about Jeff and can we get maybe um, someone to do a Patrick Moore voice that would be fun <laughs> oh he's dead oh no well it'll be fine we'll ask his family it'll be all be good. we'll get Nick Briggs it'll be alright yeah we'll get Nick Briggs to do a really weird accent for him it'll be fine um no, it would be Jeff and Professor Sir Brian Cox. Yeah, can you imagine that? That'd be great. Could provide his own soundtrack as well. Yep. Two for the price of one. Pretty much. But um you, you could buy that for Capaldi. You bought Capaldi on guitar, Brian Cox on keyboards. <laughs> Sylvester on the spoons. <laughs> it's not an audiobook, it's a Christmas number one. Peter Davison's acoustic, you know. And a holographic, a holographic Patrick Troughton with his recorder. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Gallifrey Band. <laughs> and Jeff. Holograph- holographic Hartnell burning his f in fire records. <laughs> yep. That'll be awesome. Anyway, um, yeah. Hey, there, there seems to be a lot of this, um, this story just revolved around Jeff and his somewhat unheard of beforehand computer skills. I think the fact that the doctor provided them with evidence that he was smarter than all of them and the doctor had written the virus. There wasn't really much that Jeff had to do. Also making the doctor a computer hacker for no reason. Well, he's the doctor. And yeah, and again, but it's, it's, it's another sort of resolution that's done via screens. Remember we talked about this last month? It's all yeah. these kind of like, oh, these mass phone calls. Well, you, you know, it's like, you get bit, I thought it was a Russell T. Davis thing, but this just shows that Stephen Moffat carried it on. It's like, you know, if it's, if it's a phone or a kind of laptop, which from a technological point of view kind of ages the episode, not half as much as the line that Rory has as well, but I know it's that thing where he goes, it's a camera, but it's got a phone on it as well. And yeah. it's like, oh, Jesus, crumble me to dust now. It might, well, might as well have been that his phone rang and somebody said, what's that? And he went, it's my ringtone. I paid 99 pence for it. Yes. <laughs> It's Patrick Moore playing the Doctor Who theme in his xylophone. Things can only get better by DV. <laughs> yeah, it's just what they know. <laughs> yep. Anything to say in defence of poor old beleaguered Jeff then, Dave? Before he gets a big finish. Yeah, there's not much that you can say in defence of Jeff, because as Cameron says, he only gets like two lines. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one of those seems to be apologising for looking at porn on his laptop. <laughs> Again, FNAF, FNAF, FNAF. <laughs> Get a girlfriend. A little bit of smut for your sad little family viewing, ladies and gentlemen. Well, you know, it's the the introduction of the Stephen Moffat staple of a browser history joke. Yes. For laying the foundations for the rest of his era in this. He does love a bit of browser history. Yeah, like maybe Jeff's got a girlfriend and he was online with her. Maybe that's what he was doing. Yeah, could have been. Are you suggesting they were sexting? I'm I'm suggesting that they don't have to. They've got a camera on their phone. Like they shouldn't shame Jeff for having normal, natural, healthy urges. It's just sex shaming a minute. Exactly. It's just it's it's kink shaming essentially. And we're not, we're in not... the same episode where Amy's a fucking kissogram. Exactly. Which is like a stripper gram, only she keeps her clothes on, kids. Mm. Yeah. AKA disappointment. 
But yeah, Jeff was never going to do much because he, he wasn't there to do much. He was literally there to provide a laptop. Like that is the entire reason for Jeff's being in this story. They might as well have just said, Amy, have you got a laptop? Yeah, it's up there. All right, I'll use that then. They could have just had that laptop you know, perched on a, a, a shelf or a wooden table and it still would have emoted to the same way as Jeff has. Yeah. Pretty much. He's kind of a bit redundant anyway, but it just uh, the resolution seems to rely all on him, and it's just weird how we haven't really heard much from him as a character. Yeah. I could understand if, say, he was maybe Amy's boyfriend and had a little bit more to say <laughs> during the whole thing. <laughs> all right. Stop writing big finish books, Amy and Jeff's Adventures. Amy and Jeff's Adventures. <laughs> Alternate hey, universe. See if, see if this will make no sense. I'm talking about Mrs. Belfry. I'm talking about Big Finish and it's going to make no sense to even listen to this podcast who hasn't heard the conversation before. But never mind. Now, now it's the time to announce it then. <laughs> your, uh, your plan for world dominance. You see, that's the thing. I think we all work for a Big Finish. <laughs> yeah. In a roundabout kind of way. I remember reading a joke on Chris that was like, yeah, so what you're going to do is you're finish, going to finish work one day, you're going to go home and you're going to wash your face, you're going to look up, look in the mirror and realise that you are Gary Oldman and have been all along. Because you just never know who Gary Oldman might be. And I think it's like that with Big Finish. I think we all write for Letting Big the finish. days go by, letting the walk. <laughs> so, so we wash our face and we just look up and it's Nick Briggs and David Burns' suit. Yeah. <laughs> you may ask yourself, how many box sets can we get out of this? <laughs> do, 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 do. Uh, yeah, there's a big finish competition for new writers. It's called Short Trips. You essentially have to do a 5,000 doc- word Doctor Who story. Uh, if it gets chosen, it gets recorded and released in time for Christmas. They've been running it since 2016. And full of gusto and chutzpah from actually getting a bit of commissioned work done and now on public <laughs> access uh, in my hometown, I thought, you'll have a crack at that. So I've ended up doing, uh, I'm doing a Doctor Who story, essentially, which feels like you're just kind of writing fanfic. And it's kind of like you're going, is this, is this any good? Is this good? That's essentially what Big Finish is, though. It's just fanfic with the actual actors. Well, yeah, pretty much. Uh, But, you know, all all of my, uh, I came up with the story first and then realised I had to pick a Doctor. When I was doing the sort of synopsis and piecing everything together, I was like, I'd like to do an Eccleston. An Eccleston would be really good. Let's do an Eccleston. But then the more I wrote it, the more I was like kind of going, nah, I'm doing a planet which is basically ruled by sort of like an austere presence. I really need someone to be a loud arsehole during this to just break the tension. (laughs) So yeah, uh, Colin Baker's in it. Uh, (laughs) And you know what? You know what? He is so much fun to write like so much it's you know for all people have a knock at colin baker's presence on the when he was on it on the tv that is so much fun to write absolutely so much fun to write when you can basically make the doctor an obnoxious arsehole but not quite realize he's an obnoxious arsehole And just break down every single kind of like formula and social structure that any civilization might have by just going, whoa, right in the middle of it. (laughs) It's like, so I was grinning right in it. So yeah, it's good fun. Uh, But yeah, I'm not paid by Big Finish. 
and having read the first 500 words, it is, it is good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't know if they'll get clearance for the My Little Pony crossover, but it was enjoyable. <laughs> You've got to take these chances, Dave. You've got to take these chances. That's all I'm saying. It's the crossover fandom's been crying out for. It is. It is. Dr. Brony. So, uh, yeah, that's that's me, you know, by, you know, maybe by the time this episode goes out, I'll be on my fame and fortune. And that's just yeah, and I'll just be back to me, Dave, again. Yeah. <laughs> I'll still come back. It'll be fine. Yeah, I'll say to us, he'll be back in five minutes and I'll be here for like 12 years. It's been 12 years. You'll have all had loads of psychological visits, you know, psychiatrist visits in the meantime. I'm sure Cameron was real. I'm sure he was. The Raggedy Rangers, da. <laughs> the Raggedy Rangers, da. I'm going to make Dave dress up as him. <laughs> he came with my house and everything. <laughs> He was on a train. <laughs> he went, we went with him in Manchester. <laughs> and which one of me and Lee is doing this squeaky voice Joe Pasquale impression? <laughs> take your pick. We'll take it in turns, Dave. Fair enough. <laughs> Aye, so there you go. Um, <laughs> Where were we? I don't know. Um, I sort of railroaded into self publicising your uh, big yeah, finish story. Well, you know, and somehow yeah. we ended up here. <laughs> we ended up here, but there you go. It's almost like we had not enough to say about Jeff. Yeah, true. I think, yeah, Jeff kind of burnt out quite quick, didn't he? Um, well, Jeff didn't really have much to say about himself, to be fair. Oh, that's true. Yeah, there is that. Anyway. Right. On that note, then, Dave, do you want to give us another point for the defence? I do, and I'm going to. <laughs> you do that, then. That's Good. the format. That's the <laughs> so yeah, this story uh, as much as we've said that the story of this and the characters in this are a bit throwaway because it's about setting up the Doctor the bad guy in this is a really interesting bad guy because it's pure body horror. Anyone that you see in the street could be this hungry alien looking for victims anyone out there, it could be that man walking, walking his dog as an alien with big sharp pointy razor teeth and it's not often that the Doctor does that there's aliens and there's humans that are bad. They don't often do aliens that have replaced humans and are evil for their own purposes. And it's a shame because it's really well done here. Because you get that scene where Olivia Coleman comes out holding the hands of the two little girls. And you think, okay, she's she's a bit weird, but she's going to tell us things. And then it's, oh no, I've done the mouth thing wrong again, haven't I? And it's like, okay, this is now just weird and creepy in a body snatcher style. It's the same voice coming through all three mouths kind of thing. Yeah, and it's yeah, really yeah. well done. It's almost a waste on our new Doctor New Companions episode. Does it not feel a lot like there's sometimes that Doctor and I mean, I'm going to give another example for uh, of Stephen Moffat who was well, probably another. There's probably another two examples actually I can think of from Stephen Moffat who essentially makes a Doctor Who um, villain where it's obvious that it has to be as cheap as possible. Um, one would be... They, well, this, I would argue, is like a couple of steps away from Weeping Angels, who are essentially statues. And the ultimate in Stephen Moffat corner-cutting let's-make-cheap-arse bad guys would be Vashton Narada from Science and Library, who are literally nothing. Yeah. <laughs> what are you scared of? Nothing. That's <laughs> not fair. <laughs> They're a shadow. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like it's there was, there, was, there was I mean, we went to the Doctor Who exhibition. Yeah, you all went to the Doctor Who exhibition in Cardiff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did no. you see the fact? No, okay. 
bad fan. Dave, <laughs> Dave, because Dave stays in his house. Um, you, you, there was like a exhibition of all the sort of costumes and things like that for the bad guys in like the the main hall that you could yeah. look around and look at, and um, the there was literally an empty tank at one end, wasn't there? And it was like they put something in there to create a shadow on the lights and the centre of it, and it just said Vashon Nevada. <laughs> it was just literally an empty box. It was the, essentially the real-life version of the broken Cassandra toy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just a frame. It's just... That was it. That's your toy, kids. Is it. That's a your frame. Toy. <laughs> Even faceless Grandma Connolly was more fun than this. Yes. I think this also falls victim to that. It's an obvious kind of ploy to make a bad guy on the cheap because if sat there and kind of went well how can we get a bad guy and do that we can just have like a guy walking his dug and that's essentially going to be a monster yeah and it's just in a way kind of lazy in a way it is lazy because it makes like i feel like anyone could be the monster they do say there's 12 people in the coma ward but we never see all of their faces so any of the people could be prisoner zero hmm and I think when you see the effects for Prisoner Zero itself, you can see that they're not that good at special effects sometimes. Because mm-hmm. all the here is a worm hanging off the ceiling, but it's got teeth. All right, that's, yeah, it's not that scary. Whereas when you see the man and the dog with the teeth and Olivia Coleman and the kids with the teeth, that's a bit scarier. It's more, especially for the target audience. If you aim this at 10, 12-year-old kids, that's quite frightening probably. Because, yeah, Daleks are scary, but you're never going to see a Dalek. You'll see a man walking his dog on the way to school tomorrow. And it might remind you of this. So in a way that Doctor Who puts fear into people's heads, this is quite a good one. It's threatening a familiar thing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I'd still go, uh, as as my job as the prosecution this evening, I would still go the fact that it's kind of lazy. It's kind of obviously done on a you know budget cut and exercise. That'd be um, my statement on that. You can see how it would be relatively cheap. Mm. Well, it's like you don't have to have any kind of like you know effort put towards any kind of like makeup or any kind of like um, prosthetics and like that. It's literally just hey, Olivia Coleman. Can you just hold up these two kids' hands? Yeah, <laughs> Olivia, I've got I've got a bit of a weird question for you. It's from a casting director. I want to know how wide you can open your mouth. <laughs> Which funnily, enough, which funnily enough is also is also what Harvey Weinstein asked. Um, maybe not to Olivia Coleman, just for the legal department guy. Yeah. There you go. It's also known as the spacey question. Yes. Indeed. You done with that one? Yes. I think. Yeah, I'm done. Okay, then, Cam. Unless you've done full Richie, have you got another point for the prosecution? Um, I've started to now get into just picky stuff um there is a sudden breakneck escalation in the stakes from amy's house is going to be destroyed to literally about seven seconds later oh by the way it's the whole planet there doesn't seem to be a lot in between we go from hitchhiker's guide guide to galaxy reference to then suddenly just like oh by the way the whole planet oh but that is hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah yeah but that that effort is done for comedy yeah. Uh, whereas this is just literally just kind of like going, no, 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 actually it's the whole planet. Oh, we need to put some peril into this. Um, yeah, by the way, it's not your house, it's Earth. 
there doesn't seem to be any great in between. It's not like oh yeah, it's going to scour the local area. It's going to like you know burn up all the local you know the, the village or the county or whatever that is. It's just house then planet. In fact, I'd say that's almost directly Hitchhiker's Guide, isn't it? Yeah. House is about to get bulldozed. Need to it's go a out. Little, little kind of English plan. village. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they walked into the pub and like bought peanuts. And that's another one of the points for the defence about this story. The setting. They were thinking of filming in a Scottish village, but then they moved it to England when they cast Karen Gillan because they wanted her to still be an outsider. And obviously they filmed in Wales, but yep. this town that they've made up, Ledworth, pretty much everyone in Britain can picture what that town's like. Because we've all passed through a town like that. Or if you're Cameron, you live in a town like you that. You live in a town like you mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where there's like... You live in a village like that. Shop. And there's one pub that's only ever busy on a Sunday afternoon for the roast. But well, all, the pub up the, the, pub up the road in Kirtle Bridge, I've told you about the pub up the road in Kirtle Bridge. It's weird. Oh, that, have I not yeah, told you about the pub I think the you have. Bridge? You must have told you about the pub up the road. I think you have at some point, yeah. But yeah. Re- remind us. <laughs> I can't there's remember a, exactly why the, it's weird. It used to be a pub, obviously. It's now a bed and breakfast. There's three rooms upstairs that the owners hire out. There is a sign on the door that say they, they kept the, the pub bit and the lower part of it as you go in. Mm-hmm. The bar's still there. Um, and when I first moved here, I would drive past it on my way home from work and I would be like, some nights at that, you know, about six o'clock, it would be lights off, no one there. And then some nights I would drive past it and all lights would be on, there'd be music and there would be the telev- TVs on and there'd be about 20 people in there. And I was like, how do you even do that? So I walked up the road one day walking the dog and just like, there's a sign outside that says, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, come in, then please phone da 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 on this mobile number. And it's 07 blah, 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 blah. And I was a bit like, what, do you have to ask permission to get in? What's this? What's the whole deal? And we sort of were out for, Claire was out walking the dog one night and met the owners. And they were saying, oh, have you just moved? Blah, 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 blah. The whole conversation, la, 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 la. And she was like, oh, you know, um, you know, if you fancy, this is before COVID hit. And it's like, kind of going, oh, if you fancy coming up one, you know, one evening, you know, just, you know, just phone the number and we'll, we'll, we'll let you in. And the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm thinking, kind of going, right. They bought it, as a, they converted it to bed and breakfast. They've still got the bar. But I get the funny feeling. No one's ever applied for the license. <laughs> Either that or swingers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let, you know, yeah, I didn't think of that. Let's hope not. <laughs> but, There's um, canine and company vibes here. <laughs> mm, so, yeah, there, so that's that's the pub in Kirtle Bridge, which is only accessible, like, you know, something at a Brigadoon. It's a by appointment. Members club. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> You have to get vetted before you enter. I've never been, by the way. Yeah, yes, yeah, we're not we're not running a pub here, Your Honor. We just give our friends drinks, and they happen to remember that they owe us some money every time. That's all. <laughs> yes, that's all that happens. They just happen to pay off their private party tab. So yeah, I've, that, there you go. That was a tangent. But yeah, this small town that they set in, yes, is recognisable to pretty much everyone in Britain. So they've they've managed to get away from saying it all in London, but filming it in Cardiff. They've actually gone out into the countryside, and it's it actually feels like it could be Britain, rather than I mean, London that always feels like it could be a film set. 
I'd be very interested to see. You I mean we're saying that you know people, a British audience would recognise this village, and yeah, you, you can. But obviously, Doctor Who is screened in many places. I'd be very, very interested to hear if that still resonates with anyone outside this island. You know, I mean, if you get how how does that go play in America? How does that play in you know uh, the rest of Europe? How does that play in, say, New Zealand? Yes. Um, I'd be very, very interested to find out what the sort of... I, I don't know how it would play, but I think people would recognise it. Because if you watch, say, Arrested Development, they have a thing called Wee Britain, where it's like yeah. a pub, and it's all nonsense like that, and it looks like it should be on a biscuit tin. Yeah. Which is the vibe they're going for. So I think that they wouldn't necessarily empathise with it mm-hmm. but I think they'd recognise it as a small British town because mm. I've also run it, it's a bit like the prisoner for the whole body, yes. body snatcher thing yeah. but it feels like the town and the prisoner that's what it feels like it's got that very small close community feeling to it and it's not a sort of thing that's exclusively British as well because all these places will have their own version of that mm. I mean you talk about America you've got small town like 15 20 people very insular yeah 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 okay, like former so, mining town somewhere in the middle of a desert somewhere or something yeah so you know there are all these places that will have their equivalent it'll be recognizable as something that they might know hmm. i hate to bring up this reference but it's like gilmore girls it's that case yes. all time aye yeah that's what i had pictures in my head when you, i was talking I think about that's it. oh not happy gilmore no okay. no <laughs> Fair enough. Done by that one? Yeah. Okay. That. All right, if we're done by that point then, Dave, another point for the defence. Well, I'll continue on with that to an extent because we talk about how recognisable things are and how much people can see their own stories in this. And the final confrontation of this is very much like a Western. It's high noon. You've got the clock ticking down before the good guy has to face off against the bad guy in the final showdown. The difference is that in this, the good guy is looking forward to it because he's got the upper hand. Mm -hmm. And obviously, because it's Doctor Who, there's no actual final confrontation. The Doctor just uses some sideways move to get out of it, i.e. calling down the aliens. That's his big high noon drawing his gun Mm manoeuvre. So I think that, to an extent, this high noon inspired finish could also have been an inspiration for a town called Mercy because they go for the whole Western vibe of this final confrontation with the countdown and go, hey, let's do a Western. Let's just do literal Western, yeah. Yeah, set in a small town this time in America. Can't really argue against that per se. There is certainly probably a structure for it to happen. There's not much in the way of any sort of actual physical escalation of hostilities that you would get in a sort of western i.e. no much in the way of guns and bullets and you know take 10 paces and turn around kind of thing draw but high noon either well no no really it's been a while since i've seen high noon actually but yeah i know what you mean it's, 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 so yeah that's the only thing i'd say but that's, it's not really a sort of direct confrontation in that sense are we done with that point as well? I think we're done with that point, yeah. We're just going to run through away through through really through. quickly. I think I've run out, to be I honest. Have you got enough in the tank for one more? Um, the only other thing I've possibly got here is the fact that um, 
The effects haven't really aged brilliantly well. Um, I've put down there's something very PS1 about Prisoner Zero's snake form. <laughs> and then the only other point I really had was, uh, this is the first main series Doctor Who to be filmed in HD. And sure. for this reason, we get really a fair few many pointless extreme close-ups. I've never particularly wanted to check out every single pore in um, Amy's face, but I was given that opportunity. Yeah, the, the special effects are a bit ropey on Prisoner Zero. And it's a shame because it's something the Doctor goes back to a lot with villains, is that thing you don't want to think about, that thing in the corner of your eye. You see them then forget that whole thing of the hairs on the back of your neck nonsense. Mm-hmm. And I think it is slightly ruined when you see what is basically an eel hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yes. And, and that was the thing that I could never get past while I was watching this. What's it hanging from? Probably just stuck to the ceiling. Yeah. Like a, like a sticky Garfield in a car. I mean, there's, there's they're not but even... Has it got like a suction cup on the bottom, like a dildo? <laughs> Like, well, like, wow. you've, like you've always said, Dave, anything's a dildo if you're brave enough. Wow. Even with Dave. How's it hanging from the ceiling? How's it holding on? Has it got like little fingers? Well, it's, 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 it's sticky, blind? isn't it? Because when the sonic screwdriver rolls underneath the door and Amy finds it on the table, it's covered in goop. Yeah. So, obviously, Prisoner Zero's had its whatever it grips on the things with on it. So it's but, sticky substance. That's how he affixes himself. Yeah, I, but that that it was never shown. It was never explained, which just kept annoying me. I'm just thinking about those. Also, is there any reason to actually have Prisoner Zero shown in snake form? Uh, because at the very end, that's how the Doctor gets them to see where he is. Because Amy remembers. Uh, I suppose, the yeah, form. yeah, he wouldn't. Yeah, I suppose, wouldn't uh, I'm just going to say because mostly, could you not have just done the whole story with him just? This presence just taking over other human bodies. Yes. Kind of like the, kind of like the master, obviously we'd say the master snake in the TV movie, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well. Oh. Nobody wants to see Eric Roberts' snake. Fanar, fanar. <laughs> Imagine if they bring back Eric Roberts for the 60th. <laughs> Imagine the confusion and backlash that would create. Imagine, Hilarious. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe going out on a whim here. I'm assuming he's available. <laughs> he's done a lot of big finish. He has. He has. He yeah. has. He's willing. Imagine if I end up you know, getting a gig there. and Yeah, okay, yeah I'll write for Eric Roberts. Yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah. Anyway. Cameron, we'd like you to write a new story for the mass. And you go, ooh, Sasha Dewan. <gasps> Michelle Gomez. And then walks home. Like, ah. <laughs> hey, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. What you got for me? So what's the lizard guy doing this time? <laughs> Actually, I have a question for the writer. How does it fix itself to the ceiling? <laughs> How does this work? I need to visualize myself in this scene. Oh God! This is what you'll be getting yourself into, you know. I look well. Not just all the right. You're going we'll to see. The we'll see how this pans out. I'm probably just. Getting, it's probably just going to be a polite no. I think. But never mind. We'll see. We shall see. Anyway. Okay. Done with that point. I think I'm yes. done with all the points now. I think you've everything, yeah. everything in the fire. There wasn't that many to begin with, if I'm all honest. <laughs> it's almost like you've just given up entirely. It's almost like I've given up on 
Doctor Who fans in general. <laughs> <laughs> just that'll, stand, be... that'll stand you in good stead for tonight's vote. It will. <laughs> yeah, but it's like kind of going, if we're swayed by a hashtag, which like, you know, kind of going, oh, just, <laughs> just make sure it's not guilty, just annoy calm. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's read up to five apiece, Dave. You got one final point for the defence? I do, and it's... Let something yeah. in. It's this. It's the cast. You didn't realise at the time, but watching back this has got so many faces that you recognise. And to an extent, a lot of them are wasted. Um, Nina Wadia is a great comic actress. Mm-hmm. She she first came up in, like, goodness gracious me. Yeah. Yep. And in this, she's playing a serious, stuffy doctor. Which... Is she not in the going for an English sketch? Yeah, she I think is. they all were in it, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. And in this, she's a serious, stuffy, kind of angry doctor, which is a massive waste of her talent. You've got Annette Crosby as a doddery old woman. She's brilliant. Who doesn't seem to be aware of what's going on, whereas we know that she was actually, and probably still is, a very sharp, intelligent actress. Mm-hmm. And she was kind of wasted just as a doddery old woman. Hey, Arrow, let's get Sir Patrick Moore into an episode. But you know what? We'll make him look like an old lech. That'll be funny. <laughs> Why? There was no need for it. It was so good of Games Master to agree to that. <laughs> You've got um, Perry Benson, who's the guy in the ice cream yeah. van. Uh-huh. Who I actually looked up. He started on Grange Hill in 1978. Yeah. He was in Blackadder. He was in The Young Ones. He was in The Bill. For films, he was in Scum. He was in Quadrophenia. And in this episode of Doctor Who, he's standing fiddling with a speaker. And then he's gone. And that's it. I mean, obviously, you've got now Academy Award winning Olivia Coleman, mm-hmm. who then was just a jobbing British actor. But even in this, when she's doing the scene holding hands with the two little girls, she is so cold and calculating and evil, which is hard to do when you're standing in a room holding hands with two little girls. And she mm. pulls it off really well. And lastly, for the casting, you've got Arthur Cox, who is Mr. Henderson in this, mm-hmm. the guy whose car the doctor gets his tie shot in. He is actually a returning actor from the Dominators. Yeah. This is his second appearance. <laughs> yes, yeah. And it's the, there's so many people in this that they could have done so much more with. They said, hey, tell you what, you're going to be in the first episode with a new doctor. Yeah, right, that'll be great. All right, you're working in an ice cream van and it's playing the wrong stuff. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's it. All right, that'll do. And it seems like there's so many people in this that should have been used better. But it's great because there's so many people in it that you recognise. Oh. Is that not an indicator of the show's success at this point, though, that people won't just be willing to take a like 30-second scene just to be in Doctor Who, rather than being brought in and wasted? Oh, yeah, but I think in many cases their talents are wasted and now are prosecuting it. Um, <laughs> yep. <clears throat> yeah, I think, back I think their talents are wasted. Um, because you've got great comedy actresses who are being uptight and stuffy. You've got really sharp comic actresses who are pretending they're daughtery old women. You've got Patrick Moore, who was a very smart, very on the way. He was great, but now he's just an old lich. And it's, it's all of this just seems like people agreed to be in it, but they didn't bother writing for them particularly. And it was just, you'll fit in that slot. And it just seems like a shame. But there are loads of faces in it. So that's my point. For the defence and the prosecution. <laughs> Thank you. Coming up next week, I judge it to be not guilty. And they come back there, Cam. 
No, I think no. It, it kind of speaks for itself. I'm you still, have just given up tonight, haven't you? I was just going to let that one breathe. You know, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be found not guilty anyway. So, you know, but for the benefit of the listening audience, this is what you've done to him. Yeah. Is, is there any everyone who voted that poll? Every motivation. Every motivation. You've this left him a broken shell. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm on the beer for crying out loud. <laughs> I remember when we started this, it was like the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial every week. <laughs> now it's like Nuremberg, and he knows how it's going to end up. Yep, there's no point. Just send me to the bunker. <laughs> the only thing that I think could possibly be worse is if we're in the next envelope draws fear and I'm having to defend the bullet. <laughs> well, you never know. Now, if that, if that happens now, I think that'll just be the, yeah. the lowest of my lows. Let's not give up hope. I mean, there's still listener evidence to the cub cam, so this yeah, could, this, this could swing it all back in your favour. Is this, is this the same listener evidence I've spent the last night when I was having a cup of coffee, flicking through my phone, just putting the word sigh at the end of a word? <laughs> Will this be the one? Poss- possibly. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. But, but, but you know, there might, there, might be a, there might be a light in the darkness there for you, Cam. Somebody might have, at the I last minute, genuinely. come in. And bolstered your arguments. That's not going to happen, is it? Okay, then let's find out if Cam can pull this one out of the fire with the help of the listeners. It's time, belatedly, to go to listener evidence. Here we go. Here we go. So, listener evidence is Dave. Gives us a tour of the room. No, I was smelling my laptop because I can smell the heat coming off it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's go through listener evidence before Dave bursts into flames. Okay, so listen, evidence. Deborah has been in touch. Deborah says, I was burnt out on Doctor Who after the Russell T. Davis era and at a low point in general when this aired. But by the end of the episode, I truly felt like a fan, like a kid watching again. The show was magic and fun. The characters were people I wanted to spend time with. And I still feel that now. Maybe even more than I did back then. It's not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. It's the beginning of its golden age. Also, I'm not far away from a village that has a duck pond with no ducks. So I've never understood why people were so obsessed about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, Fraser Gregory has been in touch to say it's about not guilty as an episode of Doctor Who can be. Everything you love about Stephen Moffat's writing in one script as Matt Smith crash lands into the role as if he's owned it his whole life. All this time later, it's still as magical as the day it was broadcast. There's still hope, Cam. There's still hope. Um, crossing everything. <laughs> Okay, the artist formerly known as Millie McKenzie uh, has been in touch to say, I don't have anything insightful to say except that it's damn near perfect, not guilty. Uh huh. Is she dead to you now, Cam? Um, no, no, never. Because <laughs> that's one of the ones you apply to with sigh. Yes. He's not dead to him, he's just dead inside. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, the Time Lush has been back in touch to say, come on, boys, I'll save you the baller. Best starter story since Rose. Oof. Actually, uh, the highest rating since Rose. Myself and Dave's friend Paul has been in touch. <laughs> oh, getting a... your friends involved again. <laughs> now I'm hearing for this. Getting your pals. It wasn't requested. It wasn't solicited. He just offered his opinion. He offered his opinion, did he? In the pub one night, did he? Did he? Did he? Yeah. 53 episodes in, he's finally done it. <laughs> Paul. Paul. Yes. You're the one that had your friend on this fucking podcast, all right? Let's get Al on it. Yeah, all right then. Your Al. podcast family, no less. 
Yeah, so shit. Yeah. I'll look how that worked out for him. He started defending it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he forgot which side he was on. Oh, my fault you've got bad friends. I know. We'll for God's sake on this. <laughs> Paul has said, I thought Matt Smith is pretty cool and Moses Jones. A livid fire was probably the apex of his time as Doctor Who. It's stacking up. 11th hour was the apex. Yeah, but I never said Paul makes sense. <laughs> Right, he started off brilliant and he got worse from then. <laughs> he peaked too soon. He peaked right from minute one and then did nothing. Also, Rassilon's trousers has uh, been in touch to say it's almost unprosecutable. A bold, slick and relentlessly entertaining statement of what Doctor Who can be. Matt is terrific and looks like he's been doing this his whole life. No one has been so instantly engaging in the role since Tom Baker. Ah, I see, I see. Mm. It's, it's not, not going to happen, is it? It's not, it's not looking good for you, is it? No. Can I point out as well, by the way, that Dave's either taken an exceptionally long swig of that beer or he's frozen again. <laughs> Shall we give it a moment to find out what happens, boys and girls? Is his room on fire? <laughs> the laptop is now melted into its <laughs> a liquid form. It's now formed a snake. And he's gone. And he's gone. <laughs> oh, hey. And away. And away he goes. You want to read the rest of this deliverance while he's gone? There's only one bit left. There's only one bit left. Well, you might as well read it while he's not here. And it's not really evidence, really. But we'll, we'll go ahead. We'll go ahead and uh, we'll read ahead it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, Mark Donaldson yeah. uh, from On the Time Lash has been in touch to say, I've no idea. I've never heard of them. No idea who are on the Time Lash are. Oh, it says, I presume you've soft yourself a fish-fingered and custard IPA for this very occasion. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I answered to this one as well, didn't I? Yeah, if such a thing exists, that's the first point for the prosecution. Yep, that was going to yeah. be the first, that genuinely was going to be the point for the prosecution if that such a thing existed. Well, the next, the next I was going to get was rhubarb and custard IPA. So, yeah, well, you know, that's quite... what I should have gone with tonight. If we're getting through on to time last spirit of things, that's what I should have had. We can forgive you that. I didn't. I didn't, I'm afraid. Must be furiously filled until oh. Dave maybe comes back or maybe doesn't. It's maybe, I mean, what's going to happen if he can't come back? We, You'd we... have to pick the envelope. <laughs> oh, here he is. Oh, 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 is he coming back? Oh, 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 is he coming back? 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 Is he to have a whole reset again? Fuck's sakes, you fucking stupid fucking lap. <laughs> well, we're getting there. I think it's just dying of overheatedness, which is not good. It was just that odd little wisp of smoke that appeared from below his camera there. <laughs> Oh, okay, then that's all the listener evidence sent away. Shall we go to the verdict? Let's go to the verdict, Lee. Because that's the format. That's the format. Format. Okay, so something of a first for us in the post box. Not counting the TV movie, this is our first proper post-regeneration story. It's a style of story not widely recognised as for producing classics, so how does the 11th hour fare? Well... Perhaps there's an argument to be made that the 11th hour doesn't offer anything particularly outstanding in story terms. As with most Doctor debuts, there's not a lot of meat in the bones here. The 11th hour gives us a standard earth under threat plot with focus on an escaped prisoner who, granted, does bump off a few nurses, but by and large just wants to evade capture. True, there's the threat from the Atraxi of incinerating the earth if Prisoner Zero doesn't give itself up, but that feels more like leverage rather than a tangible threat that it intends to carry out. It's a low-key, high-stakes episode, if that makes any sense. But these sort of stories are always functional at best. The story is effectively secondary to establishing the new actor in the role. 
you know, that'd be, that'd be a problem with the lesser episodes, but the 11th hour takes its modus operandi and it excels at it. We're not meant to focus on the threat. We're meant to, we're here to meet the new Doctor, a new companion and a new flavour of Doctor Who. You could say this is Doctor Who taking its first tentative steps into a new era, but the truth is it's striding confidently forwards, unconcerned for the size of shoes that it has to fill. Some of the points that you mentioned earlier, I mean, like Cameron, you mentioned the sort of snickering schoolboy intro for Amy. You know, you've got a point there. It does happen quite a lot in Stephen Moffat's era. There's a lot of that in there. Uh, it does out of other characters, but I don't think the character Amy is overly sexualised, like you said. I know there's a long sort of lingering shot on her legs as the camera pans up, but it kind of ends there and doesn't go further forward than that. The monster prisoner zero inhabiting the bodies, he said it was lazy, maybe a little bit, but, you know, that's not meant to be the focus of the story. Dave fled as a great setting. You mentioned that it's not urban, it's a complete contrast to the Powell estate before. It's a very village of the damned in a way as well. This sort of sleepy little village with something sinister at the heart of it. You mentioned High Noon as well. That was actually an intent of the director with the face off on the village green. Getting into the characters, all right off the feels fresh and dynamic. There's an atmosphere to the story that hits the fairy tale mark that Stephen Moffat threads throughout series five. It does subtly different things with old staples of the show as well. The main being, being the introduction of the companion, the Doctor meeting young Amy, who's played brilliantly by Kate and Blackwood. As a clever way of building the relationship between the Doctor and the Companion quickly, negating the need for the Doctor to be a strange, somewhat untrustworthy mystery to the version of the Companion that we're going to be spending time with, as the Doctor's been a part of Amy's life since childhood. While there's an element of mistrust towards the Doctor when he eventually meets older Amy, there's very quickly a rapport between the two of them. And we also get to sit on the flip side of the impact that he's had in her life. A small child who's lost her parents and has effectively been neglected by her guardian meets someone who expresses concern about her and has an interest in her and then disappears in and out of her life for the best part of 14 years. We get to learn the effect this has had on her, how hurt she is by being, being abandoned by another adult in her life and also how she still struggles to fully trust the doctor initially. As for the Doctor himself, Matt Smith owns it right off the bat. As Russell Lawrence Trousers said, is the most instantly engaging Doctor since Tom Baker. He's got the right level of energy and battiness, none of the over-the-top post-regeneration hamminess. And as the Doctor from the moment he sticks his soggy head out of the TARDIS, there's none of this, oh, I'm having a regeneration crisis, I need to have a lie down for 40 minutes here. He's firing all cylinders straight away. Even in his interactions with humans is markedly different from his predecessor is entertainingly odd and otherworldly, and it seems that he gives Jeff a pep talk to carry out his end of the plan. Could so have easily turned into our 10th Doctor-esque human beings, you're all so brilliant and wonderful and marvellous, grandiose speech. But not here, he sits down, quietly reassures them, builds them up, gives them a small smile and a pat on the back. In scenes like this, you can see the old man trapped in the young man's body that Matt Smith does so well. So in summary, well, you've heard the evidence from the public gallery tonight. The 11th hour is a triumph. It's fun, it's light, it's a regenerative story as the new Doctor flying out of the traps. The show feels fresh and stylistically different in many regards. We get a typically Stephen Moffat move of centering a mystery around a mundane set of circumstances. A Doctor that appears to have an ulterior motive for inviting his new companion aboard, as there's a mystery around her to be solved. And above all, the whole thing sails on the strength of the two leads. And Matt Smith and Karen Gillen 
we've got a doctor and companion that you're already looking forward to spending time with. The 11th hour isn't a classic by any means. It's not even a great episode. But only the hardest of hearts could truly believe there's anything other than not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Well, that's a shocking judgment, I'll be honest. <laughs> can I take issue with one thing that the judge said there? Yes, of course you can. You said they, there's fairy tales weaved throughout this series. Uh-huh. How the fuck do you put that next to the lodger? Fairy. <laughs> I didn't mean in every single episode. <laughs> the one with James Corden is definitely a nightmare. And that's the thing, this is a really strong season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many good episodes in this. But obviously we're only discussing this episode. That's true. Yeah, we can only discuss this episode. So that's why I wait till after the judgment say it's a really strong season. <laughs> Cameron, you look broken. I think I was broken to begin with. <laughs> I walked in tonight yeah. broken and I'm walking out more brokener. Yeah, you're like the Amy Pond of this episode. You've just been disappointed and let down and yeah, over the course of... <laughs> and and now, just, a policewoman. And now the camera will focus on my legs <laughs> every single time I walk into the room. As you drop to your knees and weep. Yes. So glad to see you weep there. <laughs> How wide can you open your mouth, Cameron? <laughs> Right, shall we move on? <laughs> I think we should. I need, the, I need to get the coin. I need to get the coin. So, as usual, it's not down to the verdict in the courtroom. The final decision comes down to you, the listeners. We'll put a poll up on Twitter for seven days after this episode goes out. You get the final say over the belly. 11 hour is guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. And we'll reveal the results in the next episode, which we're going to decide what we're doing because it's time for the envelopes of justice. Yeah. Ah, my favourite bit where I learn what story I'll be losing at next <laughs> month. I really like how you've let last episode go, Clammy. You're not better about it at all. It's not been, no, I'm not better. Not you've better moved on with your life. It's, no, I've moved on. I'm, I'm it's better. A mark, now. mark of your character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, fear her. <laughs> no. Well, Dave, you get to pick because you won last episode's poll. So, as usual. Or on my fingers along the top of the envelopes. You say stop almost instantly, and what we draw is what we do. I'm now fingering the box, Dave. This is the bit where Dave's laptop blows up, and we are just stood there forever for the next half hour doing that. <laughs> no, stop. Just stop. Anywhere's oh, fine. I've stopped. I've stopped. Give us fear her. This one here. So, episode 54 of the Polis Box. We've got a Stephen Moffat episode again. Just for a change. Someone gets to defend the lodger. <laughs> so we have got a Matt Smith or a Peter Capaldi. Uh, Cameron, do you want to flip the coin? Flipping the coin now. The usual heads prosecute, tails defend, to decide what you do. It's heads. So you're going to be prosecuting this one. Okay. Okay, Just Dave. <laughs> Just for a change. Just for a change. Keep the pattern going. All right. So... Episode 54 of the Polis Box. Cameron will be prosecuting and Dave will be defending a Peter Capaldi episode. Oh. It's Kill the Moon. Oh. <laughs> a fan favourite. 
Oh, kind of. I get to prosecute dinosaur egg. You do, aye. Brilliant. Okay, cool. You get against the woman's right to choose. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) How are we going to frame this one? (laughs) Cameron will be recording episode 54 wrapped in a Confederate flag. (laughs) Yep, pretty much. (laughs) It's a change from a Union Jack, doesn't it, Rangers? It does, it does. (laughs) It never came back from Seville. I went all the way to Spain and nowhere did they sell the Rangers news. (laughs) Funny that. So, happy we kill the moon, happy prosecuting and defending it, you two? Yeah. I think I can work with that, yeah. Okay. It's an interesting episode. It's Neiler. It's one of these episodes that most people seem to not like, but I'm pretty sure it's got its defenders as well. So, this could be one that's going to be very much on the fence, I think. I think every episode of Doctor Who has a defender somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Not enough of your last episode, though, was there? No, no, not enough. No, no, no. With 76 bloody votes, whatever the hell it was. <laughs> I don't think we're going to top that. I do not think we're going to top that. Not if I keep having these tech issues, we're not. No, not really. <laughs> yeah, we may never record the game. <laughs> not on Skype anyway. I have to go back to being in the same room again. Oh, God, can you imagine? Uh, yeah, we're allowed to do that now. That could, that could happen. Nic- Nicola has allowed it, so... <laughs> Nicola has, a, has, has allowed it, so... Local B&B... <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, come, come down to Kirtle Bridge, we'll record it in the pub. Yeah, you have to phone that guy just to make sure it's okay, though. Yeah, phone the guy and make sure it's okay, okay. yeah. All right. Yeah. So, there we go. That's episode 54 of the Post Box Sorted Out. Episode 53, as I've just heard, has been an 11th hour. Like we say, episode goes out, poll goes up on Twitter. You get to decide whether it's guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. That's it for this one. Uh, thanks very much for listening, despite the technical issues. Yes. Come back next time. Join us in the ball pit. Thanks very much for listening. I've been Lee. I've been Dave intermittently. (laughs) And I've been Cameron fairly consistently. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Good night. Good night. Bye.